congruent here. So I guess we know the answer to the question, who, who is better, spring breakers or farmers? Because for every person on vacation praying for gorgeous weather, there's a farmer praying for rain. Um, looks like, looks like uh, spring breakers might be imploring the Lord a little bit more because it's getting a little sunnier. Um, but all that to say, uh, yeah, we, we enjoy good weather, but we need the rain, right? Hedge, hedgy. Um, we need the water. Everything that goes on in our lives happens for a purpose, happens for a need. Why, what might be either an inconvenience or a downright crisis in my life might be a necessary outworking in someone else's life. And this is the world in which we find ourselves. These are the lives that we have been living where much of which we can control really doesn't extend beyond the boundaries of ourselves. Anybody, anybody get married believing that you could change your spouse? How, how did that work out for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great, great. Um, one of those magnifying mirrors of your own heart. <laughs> yeah. Um, This is the life in which we find ourselves, Uh, much of which is out of our control, much of which occurs on a scale far beyond. But yet, and so the tendency is we can find ourselves thinking, well, do I really matter in the grand scheme of things? And if I can see in the world around me the relative small role that I have in the areas that I would most want to influence, most want to change, the way I would, if I were God and king, if I could make the world this way, we have a tendency to think, well, maybe I'm not that important to God. Maybe we're all jumbling around here in in the earth like a snow globe, and it's being shaken up, and the one that lands, you know, in the right place wins, and and everyone else, well, that's life. And, And there's so much in life that screams at us, surely this has to be the case. Surely we matter less than we thought. Surely we are, our lives are more out of control, and so we, we hold on. We, we get scary and we hold on to the things um, in our life uh, because change is just too difficult. I'm going to share one story. And in the story, I think we find at the core our heart in working out. It's a very specific story. It's a very specific outworking. Um, but it illustrates, I think, who we are instead and where we live at a deeper level. I'm going to talk about my father. He passed away just about four years ago. He's a career Marine. Uh, spent 30 years in the Marine Corps, and uh, I saw his experience uh, as a soldier, his experience dealing with coming home from war, his experience wrestling with life and wrestling with God from a very up-close perspective. And this is a story, if he were here, that he would tell. And because he can't, uh, it's, it's my privilege to share his story uh, with you. One of the defining moments in my father's life occurred in, uh, on the 19th of January, 1968. Um, and it was, he, it was his second tour in Vietnam. He was a company commander. And it was literally all hell breaking loose. Where he had to make a lot of very difficult decisions uh, in, a, in a split second. And it was uh, which, which platoon to sacrifice to save the other platoon sort of thing. Uh, and through this, uh, he actually was awarded the Silver Star, amongst other things. Here's, um, he, when he retired, um, he didn't really know what to do with his medal, so kind of put him in one area. And he chose this verse to put over it. And this is sort of the end of the story. But it reads, But whatever was for my gain, I now consider as loss for the sake of Christ. That these are the crowning achievements a, a, a soldier can receive. And he said, Even the greatest the government can confer in comparison to Christ, 
This matters nothing. But this is a very different person who received this award. And uh, the citation that the um, president uh, sent reads like this. President of the United States of America takes pleasure in presenting the Silver Star to Captain William H. Osgood, United States Marine Corps, for conspicuous gallantry and intrepidy in action while serving as commanding officer of Company C, 1st Battalion, 3rd Marines, 3rd Marine Division, Reinforce, FMF, Ada, in connection with combat operations against the enemy in the Republic of Vietnam. On 19 January 1968, Captain Osgood was informed one of his platoons was pinned down by heavy enemy in enemy mortar and small arms fire 3,000 meters north of the company perimeter near Gyodin Quan Tri province. Quickly organizing a reaction force, Captain Osgood loaded his men aboard tanks, proceeded to the besieged Marines position. Undaunted by a heavy volume of mortar fire as he approached the battle area, he skillfully deployed deployed his forces and launched an aggressive attack against the enemy. Repeatedly exposing himself to intense enemy fire, he led his men forward, destroyed a bunker complex overrunning the enemy's right flank, enabling the pin-down Marines to recover their casualties to move to a more advantageous position. Throughout the six-hour engagement in which 23... um, uh, North Vietnamese soldiers were killed and numerous weapons captured. Captain Osgood repeatedly disregarded his own safety to direct fire against the enemy, encourage his men to uh, supervise evacuation of casualties. As he withdrew his units from the battle area, he led them to security perimeter, uh, directed artillery fire, airstrikes against the enemy. His timely and courageous actions at great personal risk saved numerous Marine lives, contributed significantly to the defeat of the hostile force by inspiring leadership, bold initiative, selfless devotion, and duty. Captain Osgood upheld the highest traditions of the Marine Corps and the United States Naval Service. That's one side of the story. That's one layer of the onion. When you look at, in a very intense moment, uh, and decisions that would, would haunt many people the rest of their lives in terms of the trauma, in terms of the decisiveness uh, that was going, going on. There's, there's, a, there's, a wider, uh, there's a wider side to this story. The reason the, com- the platoon was pinned down was uh, they were on patrol and uh, something as innocuous as uh, taking an entrenching shovel and trying to dig a latrine, uh, someone discovered it rice and they discovered a food cache and they discovered the largest food cache in the entire region and this was the pre- pre-planning for the Tet Offensive. And so they had actually stumbled into a North Vietnamese division uh, that was preparing for the Tet Offensive when this whole battle ensued. Um, when the Tet Offensive happened, there was only one province that wasn't attacked, and it was that province because they had engaged the enemy uh, accordingly. The story gets even deeper when you look at it from what was God doing. You see, unbeknownst to anyone at the time, and it wouldn't be known for another 12 years, this is before my parents knew the Lord or anything. They'd gone to church. They thought it was a matter of being good or good enough, and maybe you'd get to heaven. But when my dad went to Vietnam... God, as my mom understood him, laid three things on her heart to pray for. If my father stepped on a, uh, a, a booby trap, it wouldn't go off. If an artillery shell landed near him, it wouldn't detonate. And if an enemy trained his gun on him, it would jam. And she had no idea what the names of the guns were, you know, 88s and 86s and um, 47s. And, and she just kept praying these things over and over every single day. Never mentioned it to my dad when he came home safely. And uh, they found out later on. Um, all three things happened, um, where he was uh, clearing out a minefield, had a claymore on his back, heard a click, looked down, there's a string around his boot, and he just had everyone clear out, lifted his foot off, and it didn't go off. Um, 
when uh, they were on patrol and somebody jumped out of a spider hole, put a gun right in his face, squeezed the trigger, and the gun jammed. And it was during this engagement for which he won the Silver Star, he was running across a field, the exposed to enemy fire, an artillery round landed right next to him. And he said the crazy thought he had was, I hope there's a piece of me left in my boots so my wife can get casualty benefits because there's not going to be anything left of me when this goes off. And he heard the spring go poing, and it didn't detonate. And so there's more to the story that's going on here. The final piece of the puzzle was when they were cleaning up the area afterward. And some of the men that, that he had killed, uh, this um, platoon sergeant was going through their, their belongings looking for intel. And he pulled out one of the um, gunner's wallets and, and showed it to my dad saying, okay, this is what we have. And in his wallet, he had a picture. And it was a picture of a school teacher wife and him in his uniform and a one-and-a-half-year-old child, and she was pregnant. I was one and a half at the time, and my mom was pregnant with my sister. And he saw this, and it just came home to him. This could have been me. I just orphaned this guy's kids, or I I just deprived him of a father, just deprived her of a husband. What would it be like for my wife if he had shot first? What would it be like for my kids growing up? And so the whole rest of the war, and he went on to to more awards, more medals, and and a great career in the Marine Corps. But in processing through the the trauma and, and the grief and the personal impact of what had happened, he said he could get really far, but he never got to himself. In other words, with the counseling that the government provided, uh, with the church that he was going to, with all the friends, with all the Marine friends and other people, even though it was a very anti-war time when he came back from the war, there was a lot of encouragement, and what everyone said is, you had to do it. Kill or be killed. Just war. Uh, Self-defense. You're protecting your country. You were under orders. All of these arguments where he could somehow justify his actions. I saved lives. They were trying to kill us. They were killing other people. We had to do this. There was no choice. And he could deal with and justify the actions, what he did on the outside, even what he did that was awarded. But he said he could never get past the fact that he knew who he was. He knew what he was capable of. He knew, he saw the horror when he looked into the depth of of the heart of evil, the heart of darkness, and that he couldn't get past. He knew ultimately that if there was a God and a God who could forgive, he could be forgiven of the things that he did. But how could God ever get past his heart? No one could understand. They may understand the acts. They may be able to explain them away, but he knew he would never be able to explain his own heart. And I think this is where we live. Although this might be an extreme case, this is the story of all of us. Because what we try to do in balancing in our our lives, and this is how we present ourselves to others, is this is how I want you to perceive me to be. And the things that I do and the things that I don't do, the things that I should have done and didn't, and the things that I shouldn't have done and did, I justify, I explain, I'm the exception. You don't understand, this is why I did that, and if you only knew me, if you only knew me. But if we're honest, we don't want anyone to know me least of all me. Because we can spin our actions on the outside any number of ways. We still go to sleep and we still wake up with the same person. We still see the same eyes in the mirror. And we know that ultimately the actions that we do are symptoms of the person that we are. And that doesn't change. What we celebrate today is God telling us this very thing.
that we are not all right. We're not complete in and of ourselves. There is much that's beautiful, much that's wonderful in this world. There are many areas of life where we resonate with something beyond ourselves. Bible tells us that God put eternity in our hearts, that we would not be content just with what we're able to do. Because created in his image means we're not complete without him, without our maker. The story of humanity in a nutshell is simply this. Collectively, it's the human race, however we want to understand the story and how it's played out in every single life, we go our own way. We know better. We know ourselves. We know what we need, and we do it our way. A famous playwright said one of the great testimonies to the freedom of mankind is each of us gets to carve their own path to hell. Mine's got curly cues and loops. It's got this corkscrew death plunge. Um, it's got a kind of Chautauqua meandering around. But at the end of the day, it's still hellbound. Um, and we put our own spins and takes on it. But that's the gravity when we go away from God. When we disconnect, we fall. And the story of humanity has been one long fall leading to the death of winter. You see, when we disconnected ourselves from our life source... When we took upon ourselves, in essence, the story of Adam and Eve is we took upon ourselves the ability to judge right and wrong ultimately. God can do that because he's perfect. We, not so much. And so we judge wrongly. We judge ourselves wrongly. We judge others wrongly. We only judge on the surface. That's why we play our games on the surface. But where we really need the work deep down inside, the more we try to change it, the more we realize we're the same. And the older we get, the scarier that can be. So why is Easter Sunday such a day of hope? It's simply this. God did what we would never, ever, ever be able to do ourselves. God is perfect. We are not. The separation between us and our maker is for our protection, not for his. It's not that God, ooh, ooh, dirty people. They're sinners. They're not doing it my way. I don't want to be with them. And so there's this gulf. And if they earn it and show me how in they are and how clean they can be and how much they can reform their behavior, then they can approach the throne. Not at all. But it's in our brokenness we're going to continue to hurt ourselves and do it wrong. So God needs to address our hearts first. We can't play catch-up ball. We can't. We're, we're dead when we're born. We're born disconnected. And there's nothing we can do to fix it or to make it right. And as I said before, the harder we try, the more we see how futile it is. So God's offer of love is the exchanged life. For perfect justice to be done, the justice we demand when we are wronged, we can understand a bit when we do that how God takes our wrongs personally because we hurt people made in his image and they're important to him just as we are. Um, that justice needs to be satisfied. And there's two choices. We can satisfy it ourselves, but it's a debt we can never pay, or we can allow our maker to take the place for us. And that's what God offered in Christ. By God coming near, he showed us how dear we are to him. God could have remained on high and do it this way, and you did it, and who makes the grade? Nobody done, we'll start over. But God said, I love you too much to go with plan B. There was never a plan B. Plan B was God was going to make himself lower. God was going to come closer. God was going to bear more pain. God was going to bear us up in patience. Whatever it took, God was willing to do. Even coming down as one of us, broken, vulnerable, frail, that we would learn intimacy. That we would learn that God is not our enemy. We're afraid of God. We feel called out. What did, what did our, our forebears do when they're busted? They felt naked. 
They felt ashamed. They covered their head. And we do the same. That's why we don't change on the inside. Because all our effort is to cover and hide. And so Jesus looks right into who we really are. And he says, man, you're broken. But I love you. I love you. I love you. In your sin, I love you. In your hate, I love you. In your racism, I love you. In your sexism, I love you. In your adultery, I love you. In your heart that loves so many lesser things, I love you. It hurts me because I love you, but I'm not letting you go and I'm doing something about it. And I'll be damned to let you go, literally in this case. And so God took the place, what I deserve before a holy God, however we understand it, eternity in hell. That's what God took for me upon himself. That's Good Friday. That is what we celebrate. Everything that would separate people from God, he placed upon his sinless son who willingly took our place so that a way could be made for us to relate to the father. But here's the great tragedy of what should be the greatest victory ever is that for most believers and for most unbelievers, we see Easter as only going up to Good Friday. We see what God did for us as only wiping the slate clean, so now we're on our own with a clean slate. That's only going up to the death of Christ. He took our place, the exchanged life. Our sin placed on Christ obliterated. That if you believe in Christ, there is nothing you have done, are doing, or will do that could ever separate you from God. You are in. That is absolutely, absolutely amazing, and that is the gospel. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is moving forward from that state. It's the new life. It's the new way of doing things. It's the new way. It's what we've been saved into. And so much of the church thinks, I, oh, my life is messed up, and, or I think I have it all and I'm deceived and I have to see otherwise. Whatever the circumstances are, I come to the end of myself and, and I'm, oh, I'm not going to make it in life and I'm crawling. Oh, Jesus, just a little bit more. And, oh, I got a ticket to heaven. That's all I need. I wonder why God isn't coming back yet. I got my ticket. I'm all ready to go. We only lay hold of Good Friday. The prison door has been opened. We have been set free. We have been empowered. And we think that's all that it was ever about. Just making me right. And so we focus on what we've been saved from. A ticket to heaven. And we sit in a familiar prison cell with the door open. Why do so many people on this planet still ask, show us the Father? Because Bill Osgood is afraid to stick his head out of the cell, is afraid to say, what does it look like breathing fresh air, blinking in the sunlight, in a very unfamiliar place, in a vulnerable place where I'm not protected by the prison walls that I have erected from the detritus of my own life. From my own failures, I put up a barricade that was safe. But I realized when Christ set me free, he set me free from myself. He set me free from others' expectations. He set me free from fear. He set me free from failing. I can fall right down, and it's okay. God's already taken care of it. He's right there. And so the resurrection power of Christ is what we celebrate in Easter. Yes, he made a way. Yes, he wiped the slate clean. Not just to save us from the bad, but now we are saved into 
new life, new hope, a new heart, a new way of relating, a new way of dealing with people, a new value system, a new way of ordering our life that it makes sense. But we have this template and these memories and this trauma that holds us in this prison cell. And we have a Lord that beckons us and says, come follow me. But we can only do it with the resurrection power of Christ. Because whereas religion is a great opium of the people where we can numb out, I mean, crack works faster, but religion accomplishes about the same thing in that it numbs and protects you from looking at yourself. You, you, can, you can justify anything, right? And so our Christian crack of religion just deals with the outside, just deals with the action, just deals with explaining it away. Jesus gives a wonderfully simple, frightening explanation of the final judgment. It's what you did and didn't do. He said, this is your life. This is how you lived it. This is where you spent your money. This is where you spent your prayers. This is where you spent your conversations. This is what you valued. This is what you didn't. And it's in, in essence, it's like we see our life, but the sound's turned down, and we cannot give a commentary to God. Well, well you see God. No, no, no. It was like this. No, 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 no. You, well, no, no. you got you, you to understand God. God, if you could only understand, let me explain to you, God, so you will understand. No, shut up. Zip it. No, this is your life. This is it. No commentary. What would you say about your life? The only hope that we have in that is if the inner person is changed. And the only way the inner person is going to be changed is if we accept what Christ has done for us. See, the glory and the freedom of Easter is this. God gives us a choice in the dignity he's bestowed upon us. You can take responsibility for your own life. You hold the pink slip. You own it. And there's going to be a balloon payment you're not going to be able to pay. And there's a loss that is just beyond compare. Or you can recognize this life was never our own. It got hijacked. But there's a freedom in giving it to the true owner. He gets to call the shots. But now we're doing it in his power, in his love, in his ability. And this is the scary thing that God asks for all of us. Whether we've known him and haven't acted fully upon all that he offers. Or whether we have yet to know him. Because frankly, eh, I'm not seeing a difference. The challenge is, regardless of looking around, is the Father talking to you? Do you hear God saying, I see you. I see your life. Not what you've done, not what you haven't done, not the symptoms of your heart, but I see your life in its beauty and in its brokenness, in its glory and in its horror. All the things that make you, you. And I love you. I absolutely love you. I want to be with you more intimately than you could ever know forever. And I will do everything necessary for that to happen. Do you want the same thing? Will you take my hand? Will you trust me? Because so often I have to learn I can't do it on myself. Or yeah, 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 God, you're doing so much. Let me get this for you. No. There's still pride in my heart. I still have to own this. I still have to do this. God has to be my debtor. And so that scary part where God brings us, where we realize, apart from God, I'm dead. There's nothing I can do. The flip side of that is there is nothing I have to do. He has done it all. Becoming a Christian is one of the easiest, most difficult things ever. It's the most difficult because we have to get over our prideful heart. And that's the greatest force we're going to have to reckon with uh, from our perspective. It's a sinful, prideful heart. But it's the easiest thing in that we say, God... I believe you did this for me. I trust you. I follow. 
being a Christian is there is no more difficult thing in the universe. Because for our entire lives, it's this pull between the familiar open door prison cell and a life that is yet unfamiliar that God beckons us toward of more intimacy, more surrender, more power, more glory. That when we read scripture, we are front and center. The scripture tells us that for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, despising the shame. The joy wasn't going back to heaven and escaping this broken earth. A little Purell shower. and uh, Man, I hugged Bill a little long there. Uh, um, it, not at all. The joy set before him is in this room. Jesus Christ, the maker of the universe, supernova, quasar, galaxy. It's nothing, right? His masterpiece, that was practice, right? 15 billion years, it's just practice, warm up. Okay, now, now, okay, a little limber now, we can do this. Master creation, poured his life, his breath, his breath of life, Nefeshah, living being that he longed over, that he fell in love with throughout time, throughout history. And we read the story isn't so much of a God who's inscrutable and demanding and we grow tired of trying to measure up. But we realize these are all lies and voices from ourselves and our brokenness and others' management of our own life. And the voice that we resoundingly hear through Scripture is, come to me. I know who you are, and it's okay. And I love you so much, I'm not going to leave you there. But we start right here. Yeah, you threw up on yourself. Doesn't Give me a hug. Doesn't bother me. Yeah, you're stuck in this thing. Doesn't matter. Yeah, this is compulsive. Doesn't matter. Yeah, you're a liar. I get that. Yeah, you're faithless. I get that. It's not your righteousness. It's not your consistency. It's not your willpower. It's not your ability. But it's Christ's finished work. And that is glorious. Because I'm not going to mess it up. I'm not going to mess it up for you. So I can stop worrying about that. And I'm not going to mess it up for me. Because I'm in God's hands. Who are you to judge another person's servant? They will stand or fall before their own master. And stand they will. Stand we will. Because the Lord God is able. Having demonstrated so great a love. Why we were yet our worst. Why we didn't know. Why we didn't care. Why we were indifferent. Why we were caught up in so many little things. He demonstrates his love that he gave us his own son. Why we nailed him to the cross. He prayed, Father, forgive. Love to the utmost. Love to the end. And it is this exact same love that Christ offers today. It is this exact same resurrection power. We don't have to try and measure up. We don't have to redouble our efforts. We don't have to beat ourselves up with guilt. We don't have to try and fit in and conform to somebody else's expectation. But we can be the true person that Christ has made us to be, that God rejoices over in his strength, his way, growing in his heart. I'm going to give an opportunity right now. This is Easter Sunday. Chances are you may, if this is your first time visiting, my guess is this is an accident. God brought you here. I'm kidding. It's an accident of zip code. This is where you're visiting family and you, you got gilded into coming here. Awesome. I'm glad you came. It worked. Keep it up. Or, uh, or you're, um, this might be your first time checking it out. God speaks to us where we are. God speaks in familiar terms. 
God doesn't demand we go further than where we are because he only works in reality. He only works on one person. He doesn't work on the projection of the super person we think we should be. I'll, I'll fill out this questionnaire according to how I think I would do if I had my act together. Uh-uh. He loves the real person in process. And what he offers each of us is this is who I am. This is who you are to me. This is what I've done. Take my hand. And you may be there, or you may not. If you're just checking out faith, I encourage you, I invite you back next week and the week after and the week after. We wrestle with God. We want each person to press in more. And it's not my thoughts about God. Whatever those are, forget about them. I pray they'd be gone before you leave here. But what is from God and what he wants to tell you and how he sees you and how he's holding your heart, where he wants to give you hope, where he is, where you will feel him, that is real, that is true. And so if you are in a place where you've come to the end of yourself, if you're in a place where you are tired of trying to do it right, tired of measuring up, tired of feeling beat down and defeated and not getting it or it's too far away or a hard and different heart and you know it can be so different, I can give you the opportunity to allow God to take control of your life. To allow God to apply his finished work of salvation to you. To allow you to take your hands off the steering wheel. To take your hands off of the the door you're trying to keep shut. And allow the reality of God to unfold you. It's a choice. It's your life. There's consequences either way. And this may be part of a journey where where it's going to take more. We all believe for our own reasons. But for those of us who have been hearing the message. Who know that they know that they know. Today's the day of salvation. We don't know what tomorrow holds. And that's just a fact. So I'd like to ask everyone to bow their heads. And if this is your reality, if this is your story, pray something like this. Not going to have a, you know, come forward and all of that because this is between you and God. It's not a show. It's not, look, what we're doing. It's not right way, wrong way, church. It is God speaking to you. And so if this is your reality, I'm going to ask one thing. Two things. (laughs) One, that you would pray along with me in your own words. And two, that you would talk to somebody, please me or anyone else, and and let me know that you've taken the next step because we want to enfold you and, and walk with you in this. Lord God, I recognize that you love me more than I'm able to know, more than I'm able to see, more than I'm able to understand. And I recognize, Lord, that I don't know that love the way I should. I recognize, God, that either I've tried to do it on my own, either make myself better for a version of God that was handed down or forced upon me, that I was trying to justify myself, or that I didn't even know you or care about you. I was indifferent. But, Lord, I recognize You are my maker. I recognize I've gone my own way and there's a gulf between us that I will never be able to bridge. But more than that, I recognize that you love me. Even in my sin, even as I hurt you, you love me. And you have put a bridge across that with your own being, your own body. And so today, Lord, I cross over to you. I accept what you have done. You have made me righteous. You have taken upon yourself every sin, everything that would ever separate past, present, and future. And it is done in a horrible moment of justice and a beautiful moment of mercy so that now, 
despite the accusations, despite what might be familiar to me, I can testify. Jesus Christ has taken away all of my sins. I will not be able to mess this up. I am safe in God's hand. No one can snatch me out. No one. And I thank you for that. And I thank you for that security. But Lord, I recognize the purpose of this isn't just to protect me from me, from the consequences of my own choices, headlong, hellbound away from you. But out of your love, it's that I would know you. We would know you as we really are. That we could allow ourselves to be loved by you, perhaps loved for the first time. That we could allow ourselves to be intimate and not fearful before you. Teach us, Lord, your heart. We need your power. We need your truth. So I thank you, Father, for so great a salvation that you did exactly what was necessary, the impossible, to save us. And Father, if any of us would ever have a reason to doubt your love or that we would somehow insert our performance or ourselves between us and you, you would gently remove that, that we could see, Father, your perfect love, your fierce love, your jealous love, that you brook no no contenders, no compromise, and that you are drawing us to you, Father. We are safe. We are beloved. You rejoice over us, and we thank you, Lord. We worship you, we glorify you, and we pray, Lord, each and every day would be a deepening of your love in us and through us. In Christ's name we ask this. Amen. Amen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I want to leave you with this one verse, but we don't have it up on screen, so I'm going to tell it to you. 2 Corinthians Paul is writing to a church. The church is real. The church is messed up. The church was a mega church in the area, and it had so many problems. The the, the tabloids were having a heyday making fun of Christians because of this church. Uh, The people had great experiences of God, but they had really bad experiences with each other. And Paul himself, who had helped plant this church, who knew these people, had gotten smacked and gotten clawed and had really hurting. And so he was across the bay, so to speak, and he's writing this love letter saying... It is so hard to love sometimes, and it comes at such a great cost. And in a sense, I'm understanding God's love for me a bit more. But he writes this. This is our hope in this mess. Behold, whatever was old is no more. The new has come. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is forever gone. For God was in the world, in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world to himself, not counting anyone's trespasses against them. Therefore, through our lives, he has committed to each of us the message of reconciliation. How do you feel God is toward you? It talks about new life. It talks about all bets are off. It talks about having to discover God and ourselves again anew. But what is it grounded in? God was in the world, in Christ, being hurt, being slapped, being ignored, being pushed back, not counting anyone's sins against them. That's how God sees us. He has every reason to condemn us. And he looks us in the eye and he says, I love you. Take my hand. Will you take this offer? This is the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let's continue to worship.